Just making farting noises. Um, cool. Hi guys. Anybody grew up in like a church that met like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? I can imagine doing that now. I'm knackered. Can you imagine like meeting t- two nights in the evening? Um, couldn't do it. Um, uh, I have hair in my mouth. Um, cool. Uh, good to be here with you guys. Um, I think these nights are really important. I'm really glad you're doing it, and it's something we want to do more of in, in East as well, um, because uh, church is more than just getting together on Sunday, isn't it? Um, it is a, a whole life thing. So, um, And I'm glad you're, you're, you're starting with prayer, um, because there's a lot to do. Um, there's a lot to be as church. There's a lot of really good things. Um, but I'm, I'm really convinced more than ever that um, prayer is most important. Um, doesn't, um, yeah, everything else is kind of uh, point, pointless without it. Um, it's actually, there's two, um, there's two verses that have been kind of near and dear to my heart for a few years now. Um, first one is Psalm 127. Um, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Um, Jesus is building his church, you know, and um, there, there's a lot of building to do. There's a lot of stuff to do, a lot of ministry to do, a lot of discipleship, a lot of evangelism. Um, but unless the Lord is, is at work, um, it's all in vain. Um, the second verse is John 15, 5. Um, Jesus says, talks about himself being the vine and us being the branches. And we must abide with him and remain with him. And the, the reason underneath it all, he says, is because apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, those two verses go together, right? Um, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, and so we must pray. Uh, we, we need him to empower everything that we do. Cool. I'm going to look at uh, Luke 18, if you do have your Bible, um, the parable of the persistent widow. I've, I've taught on this a couple times, and um, I think my goal is like, I'm going to maybe try to make it less ser- sermony, but I don't know if I can. Um, I think I'll pr- end up just kind of preaching this. So, um, but that's what, that's what we do, isn't it? Um, Luke 18, 1 to 8, is the parable of the persistent widow. I, I really like this, this parable because uh, Luke starts out by telling us what it's about. Um, not all Jesus' parables are that way. Um, some of them are like puzzles. Uh, some of them are, are well, are purposefully uh, kind of hiding the truth, and you have to work a little harder to unpack them and understand. But once you do, they're rich and powerful. Um, that's not one of, that's not this parable. This parable, Luke begins by saying, here's what it's about. Let me make it really plain for you. Um, in verse one, he says, uh, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Um, right? No puzzle to piece together. Um, there's, there's, it's simple. Here's, here's why I'm telling this story, Jesus says, that we always pray and not lose heart. Um, it's about faith, right? It's about persevering in, in prayer. Um, how's your prayer life? Um, are you someone who is always praying? Does that describe you? 
Um, I would guess if you took like a poll and was like, raise your hand if you're someone who's just always praying, always persevering in prayer. Um, a couple hands might go up, but if you're like me, my hand, I would struggle to go up. Um, because we, we find it hard, don't we? Don't you? To, 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 to struggle, to, to, to persist in prayer, uh, to be consistent in prayer. Um, and so uh, this is one of those parables that we need. It's really important um, because prayer is essential to the Christian life. Um, like John, John 15, um, abiding with Jesus, being with him, being in this presence, staying connected to him. It's, it's, it's really about prayer, um, John 15 is. It's, and Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, it's really blunt. So um, prayer isn't um, like, an, like an added, like a bonus add-on to the Christian life. Um, do you, do like, can you still put like bundles onto your SIM card? Is that still a thing? Maybe that's a thing of the past, but... That's not, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is actually uh, foundational. It's not optional to a life, of, uh, a life with God. It's, it's actually essential to a life with Jesus. Um, beware of thinking that, that uh, God gives the gift of prayer to some people. Um, we just read Ephesians 4. Paul says there's a diversity of gifts um, among you. Um, the church is, is, is one body, but it's made up of many members. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks in the same way. Uh, spiritual gifts that, that, that Jesus gives to the members of his body, which is really beautiful, isn't it? You are all important. You are all crucial and essential and needed for the body to, to operate properly. It's not about one guy. It's not about a, a, a small team that kind of leads everyone else. You're all needed. Um, and, and all of your gifts are needed. And there's a variety of gifts. There's some of the gift of teaching, some of this gift of wisdom, some of a, a gift of, of helping, some of a gift of, of administration. It's really beautiful. What about prayer? Um, if you're like me, you can think of a certain people in your life or maybe in your church that just have this deep commitment to prayer. Um, we often call those people prayer warriors, right? And um, prayer where they seem to have this gift of prayer. And what's, what's dangerous is we can sometimes think that, uh, well, I don't have that gift, right? And that, that gift of persistent prayer, some folks have that gift and they're really great at it. Others like me don't. So what's my gift? I'm going to find it and, and use it. Um, when I read the Bible, uh, I can't find anywhere that portrays uh, prayer as a gift to some people. Uh, you only see it as a gift to everyone. Um, prayer is actually foundational. It's essential to the Christian life, to a life of following Jesus. Um, Romans 12, 12 says, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert, sober-minded, so that you may pray. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right? Over and over again, the prayer is, is a gift to all of God's children. It's a gift to all of us. Um, it's a privilege for all of us. It's, it's actually essential for all of us if we're to successfully follow after him. Um, scriptures make it clear that it's a, it's, a, it's a call, it's a gift of praying at all times, of continually communing with God. 
Um, it's just part and parcel in being part of God's family. Um, continual prayer for all of God's children. And yet, we struggle to pray, right? We, we do find it difficult. Um, and can I encourage you, even maybe even tonight or just in general, uh, talk to each other about that. Like, be really open about that. Don't pretend that you have your like, prayer life all put together. Um, talk about the reasons why we find it difficult to pray. Um, a lot of us would maybe point to the need of, of more self-discipline, right? We, we don't pray enough for the same reason that we don't go to the gym and work out enough, right? We, we need more resolve. We need more self-determination, more self-control. Uh, maybe we need better structures in place and better plans, better resources to help us to pray. Um, and that might be true. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm someone who, who finds... Uh, structures and rhythms and, and actually lists and, and journals and all those things are helpful for me to pray continually. So that might be a good reason. Um, but if you keep digging, um, I'm guessing there, there's deeper reasons why we struggle to pray. Um, I think if we're being completely honest, uh, we say the reason we don't pray is because we don't think it does much good. Right? Like prayer doesn't feel productive. It doesn't feel efficient most of the time, does it? Um, maybe you've experienced this before. Sometimes you pray and something happens, which is great. Like, isn't it? God, ah, God's real and he hears our prayers and it works. Um, but sometimes you forget to pray and the thing that you forget to pray for happens anyways, which does that kind of undermine the, the, <laughs> the prayer's essential premise? Um, and then there's other times when we pray really hard and nothing changes. And deep down, we begin to think, I'm not sure if there's any connection between what I'm saying and praying and what actually happens. Um, sometimes God answers the prayers I, I pray. Sometimes he doesn't answer the, praise, uh, the, the prayers that I do pray. Sometimes he answers the prayers that I didn't even pray for. Are there any connection between God listening and the things happening? Do they just happen because they happen? Um, maybe there is a God up there, but he's going to do what he's going to do irrespective of me. Um, and so often we give up on prayer. Um, we can lose heart, as Jesus says, and uh, give up on faith altogether, sometimes in dramatic ways, and, and leave the church. Um, but quite often it's simply we become uh, quietly prayerless um, or almost prayerless Christians. We, we pray, but sometimes. Um, if that describes you, um, don't feel beat down tonight. Um, take heart. Because Jesus is aware of your struggle. Isn't that so good? Don't you find that encouraging? That, that Jesus is not surprised that you struggle to pray. Um, he knows you. you. You can't hide those things from him. Um, he, he knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. And he isn't surprised. He isn't disappointed with you in that. He simply wants to help you. Which is why he gives this parable in Luke 18. Stories are meant to help us to pray. They're meant to help us to believe that your prayers aren't useless. Um, the purpose of Luke 18. Um, let's read it in whole. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Um, this, this parable um, actually mirrors another of Jesus' parable in Luke 18, where uh, his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus teaches us to pray, and he does teach him to pray, and he gives him that model prayer, our Father. Um, and immediately after giving him that, that, that prayer, he gives them a story, a parable, and the purpose of that parable is to, uh, to help them because he knows they're going to struggle to uh, believe that their prayers actually do something, right? He knows your struggle, so he doesn't just teach them how to pray. He immediately teaches them why they should never uh, stop praying and give up praying. And so that, that uh, parable in Luke, 18, or Luke uh, 11 is the story about a man who goes and knocks at his friend's door in the middle of the night, and he asks him for three loaves of bread uh, because he has some guests coming and he doesn't have anything to give them. Um, it's an incredibly bold, shameless request, um, especially in that ancient Middle, uh, ancient Near East uh, hospitality culture. But, but even for us, like imagine going and uh, knocking on your neighbor's door in the middle of the night and everyone's sleeping and, and waking up their children. And Jesus says, that, and that friend's probably going to have some questions for you. Um, why are you bothering us at this time of night? That, right? That's what we'd expect. But it's, it's actually not what happens. Jesus says, the guy's not going to give up and give you what you need because he's your friend. But he does give, get up and give you what you need. He says, because of the impudence of the man, because of the knocking man, because of the boldness, the shamelessness of this seeker, right? He'll get the bread because of his bold, shameless knocking. He'll get what he, he, he needs because he's the kind of guy who will wake up everyone in the middle of the night and keep knocking and knocking and knocking. Right? Jesus' point in that scene is that that should depict your prayer time with God. And you are called to ask and to seek and to knock boldly and shamelessly. Right? The, the implication is that God only gives some things in response to ongoing, patient, relentless, bold, shameless, persistent prayer. And to put it another way, God delights to share his power with those who are bold enough to ask him for, uh, for to, to bother him. And, and that's, he makes that same uh, point here in the parable of the persistent widow in, in 18, right? So again, he knows you'll struggle to pray, and he knows you'll struggle to lose heart. And so he says, here's another parable to help you and to encourage you. Um, in this story, the person doing the asking is this widow who wants justice against her adversary. We don't know the situation. Probably the financial uh, details aren't really the point. Uh, the point is she's, she's helpless, and she needs help, and she's seeking justice. The person who's doing the answering is this judge who, we're told, neither feared God nor respected man. Right? He's an unfair judge. He's a corrupt judge. He's selfish, and he keeps refusing this widow um, which we're meant to be surprised. We are, we're not really surprised over that because we're used to kind of corrupt judges. But um, the original audience is meant to be surprised because in these courts, there was meant to be a triage system, right? So if, if you've ever been to the A&E, you know, the first person you see is the triage nurse, right? And they, they assess your damage and, and, and put you in order of to kind of to be seen. Um, and so if you have a scrape on your knee, you're probably going to be seen after the guy who's like bleeding out of his ears, right? 
There's, a, there's an order for who's going to be seen. And, and it was the same in these courts of law, but these, these, this triage system actually favored widows. Um, they were the most vulnerable in society. Like They'd be moved to the top of the list for those who would be helped. But that's not what this judge was doing, right? He neither feared God nor respected man, so he keeps refusing her for a while. Jesus says, even though he neither feared God nor respected man, he eventually gives in, and he eventually gives her justice. And the reason he answers her is the same as the previous story, right? Because she keeps bothering me, right? Because she won't stop asking me. The boldness, shamelessness of her request Right? And his point again is this is what this should depict your prayer time with God. This is how you should pray uh, when you're praying to God. Which is interesting, isn't it? What, what's, what's kind of shocking is who's being represented in the story. Right? In Jesus' analogy, we're obviously the widow, right? We're in help, we're, we're in need, we're constantly coming and asking, right? But, but that means in Jesus' analogy, Who does the unjust, selfish judge represent? God. That should make you squirm a little bit. And Jesus likes to do that. Um, But Jesus' purpose is not to compare God with the unjust judge, but to contrast him, right? His point is, even if this judge would, would grant the request of a widow because of her persistent, relentless asking, how much more will the perfect judge of the world, who's your heavenly father, right, who loves you, who knows you, who cares about your needs. He knows how many hairs are on your head. How much more will he grant the request of his children who persistently come to him and ask? Right? The, the answer is obvious, infinitely more. Right? He, he's, in, he's an infinitely better judge. He, 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 he cares about you and loves you infinitely more than this judge cared for this widow. So how much more will he grant the request of his children? Infinitely more. Right, so perhaps the reason we, 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 we don't uh, think our prayers change anything is because we give up too soon. Right? Maybe God doesn't seem like he's listening because he's waiting for us to bother him. Right? He, he's, he's waiting for us to boldly and persistently approach the throne of grace for help in our time of need. Right? And really the parable teaches us those, those three things these are crucial points of, of how we pray. Um, we should pray desperately, and we should pray boldly, and we should pray persistently. I really think, because um, we've experienced this a little bit in the East, if, if, we, if you grasp those things, those three truths, you'll, you'll see a, a culture of prayer be ignited um, within this church. Um, so for, firstly, pray desperately. Um, that, that's that one thing that's true about both those main characters in those parables is they're completely and utterly desperate, right? They have no other options. They have, they have no one else to turn to for help. The unprepared host in chapter 11 doesn't have anywhere else to go to for food for his guests. This, this poor wronged widow, she's helpless. She has no one else to turn to for justice, right? She doesn't have a husband anymore. She doesn't have family, it seems. No rich friends to stand up for her. Right? In this situation, the judge is her only hope. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things that keep us from praying is we simply fail to recognize how utterly and desperately we need God's help. Right? This is what we're taught in the West, right? 
that anything is possible as long as you work hard enough for it, right? That's like the American dream that kind of is imported into the rest of the West, this culture that says you can do it given enough time, right? Given enough energy, we can figure out the solution to anything. Anything is possible. Um, and listen, that spirit of optimism, I think, is a good thing, right? Um, that, that spirit of innovation is fantastic. We've accomplished great things in the world. You think of Kennedy who says, the reason we're going to the moon is because we choose to go to the moon, right? Just going to do it. Just going to choose to because anything is possible. And go to the moon. Overcome obstacles. Believing you can. Working hard at it. can be helpful in some areas, but it's absolutely devastating when it comes to spiritual things. Because again, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? The, the kingdom of God has a, a completely upside-down approach to these things. It, it's this life of acknowledging that we're utterly lost and helpless apart from Jesus. Right? We, we don't have any other hope but for him, for, for, the, for the Lord to do the building. We're doing it in vain. We're, we're apart from him. It's, we're doing nothing. So prayerlessness often comes down to the fact that deep down, we don't always believe him when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Prayerlessness believes, I just need a little bit more time. I, I just need to muster up a little bit more energy. I need a little bit more money, more planning, more talents, another meeting, a list of to-dos. That's what we need. Um, we would rarely say that in that kind of brazen of terms, but it's often what our hearts believe. It's often what our actions tell us we believe. And we can excuse our actions by saying, um, I'm too tired, right? I've had a long day. I'm too busy. And we can kind of let ourselves off on, of the hook in those ways. But often in our heart of hearts, the reason is we simply don't recognize our desperate need to pray. Enough time, enough resources, enough talent, and we can sort it out. Until something happens in your life that shows you that you can't, right? And this is why we need suffering. And we, we live in a society that works to avoid suffering at all costs. Um, but the Bible says we actually need suffering. And as Christians, we can actually, we actually oddly rejoice in our afflictions, rejoice in our suffering, uh, because suffering forces us to realize that Jesus was right when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, suffering shows you that often enough time, enough planning, enough resources just isn't enough. Suffering forces you to realize that our only hope is to throw ourselves on the mercy of God in prayer. Um, I'll let you in on a secret. Those people who you think are prayer warriors, uh, they're just people who have suffered a lot. They're, they're, they're just people who have, who have learned that by walking through enough valleys of death that they do have a shepherd that is with them, Psalm 23 says, that, they, that God actually is guiding and protecting them, and the only real way forward is to constantly seek him. Um, so don't begrudge the suffering in your life. Um, we were talking about this on Sunday. You, you like us, have a very young church, and there are hellish valleys ahead of you. Don't, don't begrudge them. Um, Single folks, any single folks um, who might be struggling with loneliness, 
Uh, you're learning that no matter how much you try to fill your time up with activities and doing and being with people, uh, that those things still don't sometimes uh, fill that void in your heart, um, and they never will. Um, e- even, even if you find someone to marry, that won't fill the void in your heart. And what you need more than anything else is to realize that only one person can satisfy your every desire. You need to realize you're desperately in need of Jesus. Um, if there's any parents in the room, you'll, you'll maybe be learning that no matter how many parenting books you read, um, no matter uh, how many uh, like TikTok videos you watch on like, here's what to do with parenting, um, and your kids are going to be fine, just do A, B, and C, uh, you're learning that's not true at all. Um, you're learning that, that philosophy, if I can just become an expert in Christian parenting, then, then I'll be able to guarantee that my kids will turn out right, and that that's not true. Um, that's not the message of the Bible. Um, you know why? Because God is a perfect father and, and still his children rebel. A <laughs> uh, third of the angels he created rebelled. So unless you can think you outparent God, um, you need to learn that our only hope in raising children is to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, right? Looking to him for mercy and grace in our kids' life to do what we cannot do. He's our only hope. Um, I'm not saying principles don't matter. Principles are good. We should learn the principles. We should apply the principles. Um, But mostly, we should cast ourselves um, on the mercy of God in prayer. Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer said, Jesus didn't save us by teaching us principles. He didn't save us by offering, he saved us by offering resurrection power. Jesus didn't come down to impart a guidebook for us to live by, but a spirit to live in and through us. He said it'd be a tragedy to master the principles and then forget the relationship that gives them life. Um, Our only hope for our relationships and for our families and for ourselves and for this church lies in God's grace. And the success of this church, it doesn't lie on our abilities and our efforts. And it doesn't lie on our on the like the techniques. It doesn't even lie on biblical principles. It lies squarely on his power. It lies squarely on his grace. Those other things are, are good and important um, and are gifts from him. But do you believe that our only hope is found in the power of Jesus? If you do believe that, you'll be someone who prays, continues to pray. Your prayers have that tone of desperation And that tone that comes from knowing that what you most want or need, you cannot do. Only he can provide. And how often do you consider your need of Jesus? And the more you do, the more desperate you'll become, and then the more you'll pray. Um, In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, um, Pastor Jim Cimbala, he pastors a church in New York called Brooklyn Tabernacle, he said they decided early on to gauge the, the success of their church, the health of their church, not necessarily on their Sunday service attendance, but on the attendance of their prayer meetings. And why? Because they wanted to be a church that was desperate for God's help, that was desperate for his power. And that's something to consider. Um, I'll probably butcher this, but... Someone once said, like, 
if you have a lot of people that come to your Sunday services, it's because they probably think the pastor is a good preacher. If you have a lot of people that come to your prayer meetings, it's because they think God's power is wonderful and they're desperate for it. Um, pray desperately. Um, not only is the widow desperate for help, she's also bold. Pray boldly. Right? So she's, she's seeking justice from a judge uh, she didn't know. And the judge was actually known for not giving justice, right? Um, but she didn't think to herself, well, he, and he doesn't even treat rich people fairly. Um, I'm a nobody. I'll probably not even bother. No, she, she asks boldly. Um, remember, Jesus is comparing God with the unjust judge. He's contrasting him with him. He's not saying that God is unjust or reluctant to help. He's saying he's far better than that. And so the, the, if the unfair judge helped this widow, how much more will, uh, will our Heavenly Father help us? And don't miss the contrast here. Uh, the woman comes to the judge as a marginalized stranger. She had nothing to plead in court. We come to God as his beloved children. We have the blood of Jesus to, to plead. And she spoke to a judge who cared very little for justice and even less for her. We speak, we, speak to one, we speak to one who cares so much for us that he got out of the judge's chair and hung on a cross to satisfy the demand of justice on our behalf in order that he might share with us the riches of his glory. And you see how when we, when we understand who we are and from whom we are asking, we really have no other option but to pray incredibly boldly. Right? Because cl the closer the relationship, the bolder the asking. And it's like my kids coming in in the middle of the night and, and asking for a glass of water, right? And, and if one of you did that, like one of us is going to end up in the hospital probably, right? It's not going to go great. Someone's going to get hurt. Um, but my kids, they have no hesitation in coming in, right? They, they have a, a boldness because of our relationship. They, they have no question whether they should come in and get an inch from my face and say, Dad, I need a glass of water, right? Such boldness, such undaunted confidence in their approach. And this is exactly how God asks us to approach him boldly, right? Like children asking for water in the middle of the night because they want a glass of water and because they have no question of whether they'll get one or not. Kids don't, don't question that, right? And they know every single time I'll say, your mother will help you. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm an earthly father. Our father is far better than me. Um, Greer says, many of our failures in prayer are not because we're asking too much, but because we imagine the love of our heavenly father is too small. Don't you realize how wealthy and how generous your heavenly Father is. John 15 says Jesus' purpose in our prayers is to, to glorify um, himself, right? So the more we ask of him, the more he is glorified. I have a friend in, in Michigan that I lived with for a little while. His name is Mike D., not a beastie boy. Um, he was a high school dropout who uh, started his own... He got into like real estate and he got really good at it and uh, now he owns like several real estate companies. He's in like this like real estate magazine, like top 30 realtors under 30. He's a millionaire now. Um, more money than um, I can imagine having. And he, but he's the kind of guy that 
uh, loves when you ask him for help, right? He, he, he loves not just giving help, but because of his ego, he loves being asked for help and because it's honoring to him, right? It, it's when, when you ask him for help, you not only think that he, he has the money to help, but that he's generous enough to help you with it. Um, and, and you compare someone like that with our Heavenly Father again, who is the creator of the world. He, he spoke it into being. He owns it all. And so there's something that happens in our, our bold requests that is actually glorifying to God. It's, there's a belief that you are as wealthy as anyone, <laughs> more, more so. And you're, you're so generous. It's, it's, it's a... It's a Faith in, in who he is proves that um, uh, he's, he's good. And so ask yourself that question. If you, if, if, what would your request be, your request of God be like if you really believe that God is infinitely wealthy and infinitely generous? They'd be bold, right? They, they, they'd be incredibly bold. Pray boldly. And then lastly, pray persistently. That's why Jesus is telling the parable, right? That we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Um, persistent prayer. The reason the judge grants the request of the widow is because of her persistence, her continual coming. Um, you see this kind of prayer in the early church. In, in Acts 11, when Peter's in prison, the church prays all night until he's released. Right? They didn't just pray once. They didn't call an hour's prayer meeting. They prayed all night. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed until he was released. And in, in 2 Corinthians 12, um, Paul seemed to pray for this thorn in the flesh, right? Um, so much that God finally had to send an angel to tell him to stop praying because God has purpose in not taking it away. All right, stop praying. And there, there's, there's a point in here. There's, there's, the, the point is not that we, if we ask long enough, that we can manipulate God into giving us what we want, right? Because sometimes, like for Paul, he'll say no because he has a greater plan. Um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He asks his father, if there's any other way, Father, would you let this cup pass from me? And the answer was, I have a better plan. Trust me. Jesus trusts the Father, and he prays, not my will, but yours. And Lazarus, when he was sick and Mary and Martha asked Jesus to come and intervene and he doesn't straight away. Right? He allows Lazarus to die. For he had a greater plan. Right? The point is that great saints pray so persistently that they have to be told to stop and that many of us miss out on God's answers because we stop far too soon. And another way that, that our prayers to God should be like a child's attitude towards a parent, right? Persistently asking. Um, at some point, there's a stage when, with kids when, when no is not really an answer. It's more of an invitation to extended negotiation. My kids are at that stage. No doesn't mean anything. Just, okay, I'm gonna keep asking. And, and, and for us, we think you're annoying and you're naughty. We should be obedient. But Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to pray. Right? Persistently, steadfastly, Pray until you're told to stop because God answers persistent prayer. I think this is, 
of those points, maybe the trickier one for people, right? And because we can sometimes think, is that just unfair? Is that just cruel of God? If, if it's his will to give us his blessings, why doesn't he just give it to us the first time we ask? Um, there's a couple answers to that question. The most honest one is, I don't know. Um, Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My, 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 my ways are, are higher than your ways. It's probably the most straightforward answer, right? I don't know. Um, there's a couple things we can understand from those stories, though. Firstly, that God is glorified in our persistence, right? And that, that, that's true because in persisting in our requests, I'm showing that I have nowhere else to go, God, right? The, the widow had no other options. She didn't have another judge to approach. She didn't have anyone else to help. She had one hope, one person who could help, and so she persisted in asking him, right? And when we pray persistently, we're showing that we have that same conviction about God. You're the only one who can help me. I, I believe you when you say, apart from me, I can do nothing. Um, there's, there's, you're good, and you love me, and, and you can help me. I'm, I'm confident in that. Um, if I don't believe it, help me in my unbelief. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to knock, and I'm going to knock, and I'm going to knock because you're my only hope. Right? Praying once doesn't demonstrate that. Praying twice doesn't demonstrate that. Praying persistently does, and it glorifies God, and that's why God is delighted to answer persistent prayer. Secondly, though, is prayer, we pray persistently um, because it's the way that God gives us faith, Right? It's the way that he increases our faith. So think of uh, every single time my kids came to ask me for something and I gave it to them immediately. Um, my hunch is our relationship would remain pretty surface level, right? They'd, they'd, I'd be a vending machine to them. All, all you have to do is, is go and ask dad once and out pops what you need. But what about when I hold things back? Um, because I know more than them. Because maybe it's because I, I know this isn't good for you. Or maybe it's because I, I want to teach you patience. They hate that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy for them. Uh, but you know what? Our relationship grows deeper because they have to trust me. And so again, if I as an, an earthly father do that, how much more perfectly and justly does our heavenly father do that? He, he wants you to not lose heart the purpose of, the, of this. He wants you to have faith. And so sometimes he asks you to persist in your asking because there's something that we learn in the struggle, right? There, there's something strengthening in our faith in the waiting, right? That's what Peter says, right? We, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And how, look at how Jesus ends the parable of the persistent widow. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Right? When Jesus comes again, that's what he's looking for. Those who have persisted and have faith. Those who have faith is who he's looking for. And so... And if you've been praying and praying and praying and there's no answer, keep praying. And, and if you've been praying and praying and you didn't get an answer and so you've stopped praying, start praying again. 
Don't give up. Don't stop knocking. I'm G.K. Chesterton. Uh, look at this picture of him. That's a cool guy. He wrote, the trouble with Christianity is society uh, in society was not that it had been found tried that it, sorry, let me start over. The trouble with Christianity in society was not that it had been tried and found lacking, but that it had been found difficult and left untried. I wonder if it's the same that's true in prayer. Right? It's not that we've, been, we've prayed desperately and boldly and persistently and found it lacking, but that we've lacked those things in our prayer and have just given up. Do you know your desperate need of Jesus? Do you, do you believe him? Are we a church that's a, that believes him when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? Right? So, and he says, so remain with me and, and abide with me and continue to seek me. Are you desperate in your prayers? Do you realize who he is? Do you, do you realize how good and loving and wealthy and generous he is? And do you realize who you are? A dweller in his house. Right? A, 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 a beloved child. And therefore, how boldly we should be asking, how shamelessly are you going to him? Are you praying big, boldless prayers? Big, uh, bold prayers? And are you praying persistently? Are you constantly coming to him? Uh, have, you, have you learned to, to pray continually because there's nowhere else to turn to? Do you trust him? Have you lost heart? Will you trust him enough to continue to ask? And be a church that prays. And pray desperate, bold, persistent prayers. Let that be one of our defining features. And what would happen? Colossians 4.2, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Right? There should be a sense of anticipation in your praying Right, praying and praying and watching and watching. Pray desperate, bold, persistent prayers and watch and see what happens. Um, and then lastly, I'm, I'm done. Um, this has probably been one of my favorite quotes for this year as in the East as we've been trying to implement this, this deeper culture of prayer. He said, all great movements of the kingdom begin low and slow. With hidden prayers, who keep showing up to pray. Who pray when they don't feel like it. Who pray when there is no change. Who pray when they are discouraged. They are continual in prayer. And then slowly, they attract other prayers to join them. I've seen that happen, and I really believe that it's true. Only, like it's like uh, setting a culture of prayer it's not going to happen because some of your leaders, some of your elders say, let's be a church that prays. That's not what will happen. It'll happen um, when a few of you begin to pray bold, desperate prayers and continue in that, persist in that, and then others begin to join you in that and fire catches. Let me pray and then we'll take a break, coffee, and then talk. And Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that your steadfast love actually endures. 
And we thank you that you, you do hold the universe together by the word of your power. That's who you are. You are infinitely wealthy, infinitely generous. But we pray that ancient prayer, we believe, help us in our unbelief. And Lord, would you increase our faith? That's scary to pray. <laughs> That's scary to pray. And sometimes it means walking through some valleys. Um, but we thank you that you are the good shepherd. That you make promises to us that we can bank on. You make promises to us that, that you want us to remember and to pray back to you that you're with us, that you follow us with goodness and mercy. So Lord, I just pray um, just for this uh, a little spark in, in the hearts of the people in this room. Uh, to be people who uh, believe in you, believe that you are who you say you are, and to believe that they are who you say they are, and that changes the way we uh, exist in this world, and that we believe that apart from you, we can't do anything, and so we must come to you uh, always and for everything, and may we pray bold prayers and persistent prayers desperate prayers, Lord. Um, thank you, Jesus, that we, you make it possible for us to do this. In your name we pray.